Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for being here. Welcome back to today's episode where we will discuss various frameworks, interventions, and tools that we can use to guide in the work and practice with Latinx immigrants and patients. We will discuss how to better serve the Latinx community with the use of culturally adapted evidence-based practice interventions and other interventions. Like we talked about in previous episodes, the Latinx community is widely affected by the lack of culturally adapted and evidence-based practice work. So this is a start of how we can guide practitioners that want to work with this population, that are already working with this population, that want to better serve their needs. Like I've mentioned before, and we've talked about the growth and the rapid growth of the Latinx community, the Latinx population is currently the fastest growing group in the United States. So it's clearly extremely important for social workers and other mental health practitioners to be aware of the current literature and the current research on how to effectively serve this population and what their specific needs are. This is also something that's ever-changing, and that's why it's so important to stay on top of new studies that are coming out and new research that's being done. Berman et al. 2009. So first of all, I think it's really important with starting to acknowledge that the Latinx population is not a homogeneous group and should not be treated as such. So just because you know how to work with maybe or have extensive experience working with Puerto Ricans or Colombians or Mexicans or Cubans or indigenous peoples or Afro-Latinxes, just because you know how to work with one population or you have that experience and you have that background, it doesn't mean that all Latinx individuals should be treated as such or you, you really have to educate yourself on other cultures because customs are different, culture is different, ways of you in the world, their particular intersectionalities, and even language could be different. So it's really important to treat each culture and each individual differently. So an understanding of the differences is necessary when working with the Latinx population. So acculturation is the process of assimilating to a different culture, which oftentimes is towards the dominant one. So for example, Latinxes migrate to the US and they begin to acculturate with the US customs and culture. According to Zaya et al, 2003, Acculturation is often measured in terms of things like behavior, cultural identity, knowledge, language, and values. Acculturation is also dynamic and ever-changing. So again, practitioners should be aware of how this process evolves and changes throughout time. And throughout time, and how an immigrant has spent the how much time the immigrant has spent in the U.S. because, again, that's something that will look differently for everyone. So depending on maybe how old they were when they moved, who they moved with, was it alone? 
did they come live with an other family member other than their guardian? Did they have supports here? So there's so many different aspects of acculturation that can shape the way that someone acculturates to the U.S. culture. According to Harper and Lance 1994, they created a culturally sensitive approach and identified eight cross-cultural factors that apply to practice. These factors include respect for the client's worldview. So remember that the worldview might look different from yours and it might be including some aspects that you've never heard of before, but making sure that you're showing respect despite the differences and maybe a drastic difference in that individual's worldview. Another factor, the importance of hope, helper attractiveness, and this means being warm, being genuine, showing compassion, showing empathy, techniques designed to empower clients. So enabling them to feel control over their lives and their environment and focusing on what is in their control, despite all the things that might be going against them or they might not be able to change in that moment. Also, rites of initiation, like rituals designed to cope with life stage transitions, things like cleansing experiences, depending on their religion, on their spirituality, on specific aspects of their culture that they know and think would help them and would be a support to them and a protective factor. And existential realization, so helping the client search for meaning in their life. And this is something that can be used with all cultures, but the important aspect is, again, tailoring to each specific culture and each specific individual. Findings from Pinedo's Lano et al. 2022 suggest the importance of mental health providers to focus specifically on the Latinx immigrant community to address the significant mental health symptoms through improving access to practitioners who are culturally and linguistically able to meet their specific mental health needs. So this study suggests that providers should be aware and educate themselves on specific resources that immigrant families can apply to and are eligible for. And oftentimes this looks different depending on what setting you're in, uh, what state you're in, what kind of maybe funds are available. So really making sure that you're aware of what's available for this community where you're located. This study suggests that this can in turn help with the fear that many immigrant families have asking for help due to things like fear of deportation or ICE involvement like we've talked about in previous episodes. This author also suggests that health centers should offer integrated care where this population can receive things like case management, community support, aid for housing, food, utilities, in addition to addressing their overall physical and mental health needs. 
This obviously helps everyone when things are under one roof, but specifically for individuals that are already struggling with so many other factors in terms of accessing adequate physical and mental health care services. These researchers suggest that telehealth should also be offered to tackle the systemic barriers to access of care. So this is something that could be addressed within the macro level and the micro level. Russia Tal 2020 suggests that it's critical to focus funding on already existing programs. So for people that are in charge of grants, people that are in charge of the finance piece, and maybe collaboration with other agencies, this is something to be aware of. Authors encourage the ability for immigrant families to receive mental health services through direct services of community-based organizations because these organizations are already credible within the community and usually have a relationship with the culture and the community and at times have additional Spanish-speaking providers or providers that can better communicate with that with this particular population. And it's a place where the immigrant community has trust in historically. These community-based organizations are often seen as non-stigmatizing, which allows the Latinx immigrant community to be able to feel comfortable in enrolling and seeking additional services that, may, that they may not have originally sought out in other settings. And finally, this method allows the already existing agency to offer programs, program enrollment that is not contingent on access to things like insurance, legal status, or language barriers. So of course, those are three really main, really big barriers that the Latinx community has to endure. These authors also discuss how community-based organizations are already settings that immigrant families naturally access due to them providing an array of services. And they can be a unique place to include additional assistance for these families and individuals. These authors propose a model that centers on community-based organizations and their capacity building and workforce development by focus, focusing on parent self-advocacy skills and support for positive parenting. So and that's what they focused on in this particular study. But this can also go for other families, or single families, children, and so forth. And this truly allows a sense of empowerment, empowerment for the organization staff and the families being served. So this could even help with morale and truly feeling like they're making a difference within the community that they're employed in. Cooper et al. 2020 focused on evidence-based interventions as a positive way to address the needs of Latinx families. But researchers suggest that the cultural adaption must occur within evidence-based interventions to incorporate cultural values and beliefs and improve the effectiveness of these interventions. So more research truly has to be completed within the cultural adaption of the evidence-based interventions. This research study also suggests that those who are planning to adopt an evidence-based practice for Latinx communities 
must also be aware of local context, cultural values, acculturation, gender issues, and other issues and intersectionalities among this community. Scholars interviewed within this particular research study identified the following interventions that use a community-centered approach to reduce the challenges of implementing evidence-based interventions, which included devoting time and energy in community partnerships, training community members to deliver these interventions, and finally, use existing systems within the community. So again, using things that are already existing and building up on that is a way to more easily implement these programs or even be able to get some additional funding because it won't be as much as if it was starting an ex a system from scratch. I would like to take a brief moment and thank the sponsor of today's episode, a Latinx-owned small business called Lou Design CT, an arts and crafts business based out of Connecticut. This is a business owned by a Chilean couple, and they basically hand make anything that you ask from custom personalized wallets, Christmas ornaments, jewelry boxes. They specifically focus on wooden designs and wooden work, customized pet dish holders with their names, string art, etc. So whether you have a business of your own and you're looking for some signs or decor where you want to spruce up your space, or if you're looking for a personalized gift for someone's next birthday or holiday coming up, you can custom request whatever your idea is and they will work with you. They ship continental U.S. and they will only charge you for the exact postage from the post office and they do not charge any extra shipping or handling fees. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook under Lou Design CT. That's L-U-D-E-S-I-G-N-S-C-T. And I will also leave their information on the show notes. Thank you again, Lou Design CT, for being a proud sponsor of this podcast. Now back to our original programming. Zong and Batalova 2016 discussed the impact of schools and urban environments which educate many immigrant Latinx children, adolescents, and young adults who benefit from additional understanding, support, and sensitivity to their unique needs regarding their mental health and assimilation. Yamanes et al. 2020 also discusses the importance of community resilience and how specific community clinics can better serve and as safe spaces with support groups and the ability to refer out to places with safe legal service providers. These authors discuss the evidence of community health centers and their efforts to decrease racial and ethnic health disparities. So again, Several research studies have found the strength and the quality of, of positive services that are provided to this population through the community health centers. Diaz and Fenning 2021 discuss community and social supports 
being able to serve as a sort of buffer against negative mental health symptoms and outcomes. These authors discuss the importance of additional support being offered outside of school settings as well. These children need additional support that schools at times are not able to offer due to lack of funding or lack of individuals, uh, or lack of individuals, lack of people that speak Spanish or the language of the Latinx community. So having and allocating aid that can come in forms of neighborhood and community resources for families, assistance from churches and faith-based organizations, like I said before, community centers, health clinics, and other services that can become available to the public and the community. Diaz and Fenning also suggest that this can assist families in creating helpful social networks and support from their community. So it allows for some social networking, maybe meeting people from their own culture, which helps to add to a sense of belonging that's often missing from this community. We talked in previous episodes about how big of an issue it is when Latinx is oftentimes migrate, they become very socially isolated because they're because they're either fearful or they're in a community where they haven't been able to connect with anybody. So these resources within the community would really help the Latinx immigrant population. Galvin et al. 2022 discusses the importance of increasing health literacy among specifically undocumented Latinx immigrants to decrease several health risks. This means that information being provided should consider the specific physical and mental health conditions of the individual and understand their past experiences, their worldview, and their various intersectionalities. These researchers suggest that healthcare systems would really benefit from getting involved in initiatives to improve the availability of affordable care and services. They also suggest that all professionals involved with the individual's care should be educated on the systems and be prepared to provide culturally, contextually, and language competent services. So again, the idea of, of adapting the current systems to be culturally aware is really important. Ornella San Ferreira 2011 bring up the importance and significance of early interventions with parents who are struggling with trauma and depression symptoms. Early intervention is helpful in reducing the impact of negative mental health symptoms and its effect on child development. These authors also bring up the importance of policies and their potential to possibly reduce, to possibly reduce stressors for immigrants and improve overall health. So again, here comes the macro level. So no matter which level of social work or whatever practitioner you're, you're, you are, no matter what level, there's several different ways to work on improving the healthcare system for the Latinx community. The type of policies that can assist in mitigating these stressors include things like sanctuary city protections, opportunity to provide driver's licenses without the need of a social security number, 
and access to medical health and medical health insurance despite legal status. Much like DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, who offers protections like state-issued ID cards and work permits, which permit recipients' ability to mobilize, attain education, and advance employment. Cardoso and Thompson 2020 identify certain networking ties that are important and helpful for undocumented Latinx immigrants that serve as protective factors for their well-being. This is because the Latinx culture places a pretty high value in community and being around supportive family and friendships. These informal support networks also provide additional access and information on possible resources that may not be available for this community. So increasing the probability that this community will be aware of services will improve their health. According to Ornella Seital 2020, an effective approach to engaging undocumented Latinx immigrants and participating in health research is working with a community-based organizations. This assists professionals in identifying specific gaps in the current literature and the current research. So like I said before, the continued research is truly necessary to improve the health and accessibility and ability to access mental health services. These authors suggest that research materials should include consent forms, interview guides, surveys in the individuals and the community's preferred language for better and improved understanding. As previously discussed, community health and community-based centers provide most of the assistance for the undocumented population. Lee et al. 2022 suggests specific recommendations to manage language barriers. These authors promote moving from resilience on interpretation services and instead moving towards promoting ways for direct communication between provider and client to foster that trust, that respect, and that therapeutic relationship, as well as promoting awareness of the individual's cultural health beliefs. They also recommend future research focus on factors that contribute to the fear and distrust of some Latinx immigrants to help healthcare providers build that important rapport. A study performed by Graft et al. 2022 identified a theme by providers of Latinx community identified that many of their clients proactively use community organizations for resources and additional support. So again, here is some additional research on the importance of community-based organizations. Providers also reported that parents were able to find and utilize both formal and informal resources through various networks. Findings discovered through this research supports the importance of creating new and culturally appropriate screening methods that go past just translating the current methods that are available. Research suggests that these tools must be intentionally created to account for trauma specific to an immigrant's lives. So this might include certain questions that are not provided to individuals that are US born, US raised. 
Finally, the findings from this research study underlines the need to empower providers to assess patients in a culturally sensitive way to increase competence and assist in removing institutional barriers. Another suggested intervention provided by Rosenberg et al 2020 includes change in programs and health policies, as well as changes to surveys that include specific information regarding subgroups within the immigrant community. So again, this research, just like the one we discussed, encourages changes within the tools that we're using, but not just translating the tools, but incorporating the cultural aspect of, of the necessary tools that are being used. This research calls to expand access to health insurance, offering more interpretation and translation services in places where this is lacking, and agencies employing qualified bilingual and bicultural providers. It's really important for an organization to represent somewhat, if possible, the community that they're serving. Martir et al. 2019 completed research that suggests programs, specifically those in rural communities, first need to be identified and second, providers must learn about specific communities and cultural identities. This research promotes, again, partnerships with rural communities in order to establish relationship with community leaders. These partnerships would be built using graduate programs in the clinical and counseling fields and creating clinical training opportunities to both promote education within an integrated behavioral health care model that focuses on Latinx populations in rural communities. It's also noted in the study that it's vital to provide a diverse, multiracial, and multicultural representation of supervisors and students providing these services. So here's another idea on a different type of partnership that could be worked on with graduate programs and schools within the area. Norris et al. 2008 discussed theory on community resilience, which describes its aspects as including social supports and networks, social participation within these networks, and community bonds. Research conducted shows the positive impact of building on community resilience to improve the lives of Latinx immigrants. These activities help build trust between the community and organizations assisting with these programs. And trust is a really, really big deal, specifically for the Latinx community. A little bit later in the episode, we will discuss confianza, which is trust in Spanish. According to Yamari Seitel 2020, a large contributor to the well-being of Latinx immigrant communities is FQHCs also known as federally qualified health centers and community health centers. So again, this clearly keeps popping up in all of this, in all of the research. So it shows how important this truly is. FQHCs can assist with expanding clients' social networks and participation within those networks, thus leading to connections to helpful programs and assistance 
like legal services, advocating skills, health and employment rights information. Many of the participants of this study that attended an FQHC described their trust in the agency due to the agency's promoting relationships, trust, and rapport. According to Velasco Mondragon et al. 2016, a multi-level and multifaceted approach is necessary to improve the overall health of Latinx individuals in the U.S. and should really include social policy and health services. The Social Determinants of Health work group at the Center for Disease Control offer the following suggestions to address social determinants of health and health inequalities through economic stability, education, health and health care, neighborhood and built environment, and social community context. They identify national, state, and local resources with specific interventions to better social determinants of health. And these references, again, will be in the show notes so you can further research all the methods that we're discussing, whatever you feel is possible to do in your agency or in your practice, whether it be the micro or macro level. I will provide all the, these references in the show notes for you to further look at whatever you're interested in. And as we talked about in the health disparities episode, there's a huge lack of representation of Latinx healthcare workers throughout several healthcare professions. And this truly must be addressed through education programs, affirmative action admissions, requirements of diversity for school accreditation tuition loan repayment programs, and federal and scholarship funding to aid diversity enrichment programs. So if you're someone that works at the education level, at a college, in policy work, this is something to really focus on. Again, in terms of representation, Sanchez Zaytel 2016 reports that Spanish-speaking health practitioners have shown to improve the control of chronic diseases and better patients' adherence to recommendations and patient satisfaction with overall services. So agencies truly must engage in actively recruiting Spanish-speaking providers, but also work on retention, financial compensation, and additional supervision, as well as support, are ways to engage individuals in this work. So this is something to pay attention to if you're in a leadership role and you're struggling within your agency to retain Spanish-speaking providers. Healthcare professionals are required by law to offer language translation and interpretation services to those who have limited language proficiency. Under Title IV of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and failure to provide these services can lead to losing eligibility status for federal funding, according to Chen et al. 2007. And this is something that a lot of Latinx immigrants are not aware of, so they don't know their rights. So it's really important to disseminate and educate this information to reduce the lack of healthcare services that this community is able to engage in and address. Continued research on improvement and risk prevention strategies among Latinx individuals is imperative. 
we talked about research and we will continue to talk about research because of how important it is to address these disparities. Research should continue to use various models and implementation to incorporate the evolving changes of social determinants of health, health inequalities, and risk factors within this community. The translation from research to practice requires funding from multidisciplinary collaborators among people like community stakeholders, government, and non-government organizations. Velasco Mondragon Natal, 2016. Research gaps are present as well as most of the research on Latinx health is from cross-sectional studies that provide nationwide outcomes and averages. The reality is though that health disparities and overall health outcomes vary greatly by demographic, ethnic, and cultural subgroups. So there really must be a shift to a targeted approach towards various intersectionalities. So this is really important for those that are doing research to be aware of. According to Fulton 2021, organizations that are more diverse and have a broader range of people and institutions that are more influential. This can increase the capacity of an agency to form alliances and coalitions with other individuals and companies, as well as other organizations. Socially diverse organizations also have more availability to resources due to these partnerships. This author poses that one way people can develop strategies to build more diverse institutions comes from drawing from one's own life experiences. Individuals with different backgrounds develop different strategies and allows for a broader range of ideas and innovation. Providing unconscious bias training can help raise awareness of subconscious preconceptions to reduce the amount of bias in terms of decision making. According to Stewart 2016, advice and support from a mentor allows newer employees to learn how they too can maneuver the climb up the corporate ladder. The mentor can share experiences and provide additional guidance for the mentee to become more comfortable performing the work independently. So this is another tool that can be used to improve the quality of treatment and what's being provided at that particular place. The positive about mentoring is that it can be done in a formal and an informal way. Another strategy to implement includes creating opportunities for diverse populations specifically, those who have significant barriers within an organization. This author outlines some ways that this can be achieved, include providing job shadowing opportunities, delegating projects they can lead on, networking opportunities, and shadowing someone in a senior role. These opportunities aid in both professional and personal development. And this is a tool that can probably improve the amount of people that are retained and building that social support within the organization. According to Furman et al. 2009, Latinx individuals often value close and intimate relationships but they also value the role of the professional and will often treat providers as a doctor, even when working with social workers or other mental health providers. 
The author reported he was often referred to as doctor by his Puerto Rican clients, even after notifying them that he did not have a doctorate or a PhD. This actually happens to me as well with several of my Latinx patients when I worked in Connecticut and now in Maryland. Many Latinx patients are also interested in the family life or details of family from their provider. But this should not be assumed that it's a boundary issue, but rather a part of their culture, which centers around the importance of family. This can be a really helpful tool to connect with the patient and form that alliance and therapeutic relationship and positive rapport that's so vital to this community. In an article named Using Cuento to Support the Behavioral Health Needs of Hispanic and Latinos by Murray et al., 2002, Evidence-based practice and evidence-based treatment are seen as great and effective ways to deliver treatment, but there are significant gaps in equitable service for diverse communities. The Western medical model may not reflect the specific needs and perceptions of health across various cultures. So again, culturally adaptive evidence-based practice and evidence-based treatment must include cultural elements when working with the Latinx community, like personalismo and familismo. Latinx patients often rely on the cultural context to understand and address their mental health symptoms. Many individuals from the Latinx community use cuento, which is storytelling, to discuss their lives and experiences. Through cuento, this community can work towards healing and working through what they have been through in the past. This article reports that storytelling can improve behavioral health, treatment, and recovery. Fotonovelas, or images of soap opera narratives, have also shown to be helpful as an education tool to reduce stigma when seeking out mental health treatment. There's a clinical tool called the Cultural Formulation Interview, CFI, that works alongside and promotes storytelling. There's also an informant CFI tool that helps practitioners improve their culture insight from individuals that are close to the patient they are working with. We're going to be discussing the cultural formulation interview further in a later episode where we discuss the difference between cultural competence and cultural humility. And finally, this article points out that real change occurs at the system level and behavioral health leaders should replace old organizational values that may be discriminatory in nature with policies that reflect diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Para Cardona 2021 in How to Make Effective Cultural Adaptions to Evidence-Based Interventions discusses that evidence-based interventions were not originally developed for communities and populations who are underserved and did not adapt to reflect their culture. The process of cultural adaption must involve and gain feedback from the actual community. So it's really important to engage the actual community in the development and the research of these culturally adapted tools because they're the most important in the conversation and are often not included within that development process. According to this article, cultural adaption refers to, quote, 
the systemic modification of an evidence-based treatment or intervention protocol to consider language, culture, and context in such a way that is compatible with the client's cultural patterns, cultural meaning, and values, end quote. Adapting the intervention means that we're able to keep the essential components of the tool, but change and adapt it to include cultural references, as this helps in relevance and engagement for the specific population that it's being adapted to work with. There are meta-analysis that have been conducted, and research shows that overall efficacy of cultural adaptions and their ability to reduce risk factors within vulnerable communities, as well as improving and strengthening protective factors. This article defines and encourages the implementation of the Ecological Validity Model, EVM, which contains the following adaptions to consider. Language, persons, metaphors, content, concepts, goals, methods, and context. So we're looking at all those areas in terms of adapting to those cultural dimensions. They also encourage the use of community-based participatory research principles, which serves to complement the ecological validity model with active participation of the local community leaders and stakeholders. So this article provided an example of when they use these tools to culturally adapt and test an already existing parenting intervention program for low-income Latinx immigrants. They use community-based participatory research and qualitative studies with this group. From those findings and after adapting the already existing parenting intervention with overly addressing cultural issues, they learned that compared to a waitlist control group, the culturally adapted version of the parenting intervention was effective in improving parenting outcomes and child behaviors, but also showed to decrease other immigration-related stressors within those families. So again, it's so important to focus on already existing evidence-based practice research and treatment, but ad culturally adapting it. This author reports culturally adapted interventions have a high likelihood of being effective if we do the following two things. The intervention is being adapted, has empirical base showing its effectiveness, and the cultural adaption process includes active co-leadership with its target communities and uses feedback from those individuals. So again, including the actual community in the research process and the entire process is vital for the cultural adaptions to be effective. This cannot be done correctly and effectively without the actual community's input. Peterson Iyer, 2008, in Culturally Competent Care for Latino Patients, this author provides a caveat that this is still oversimplifying and all individuals should be treated as such individuals. But there are several trends that emerge within the Latinx community that focus on the adaption of culturally competent care. So these include simpatia, which is the politeness and avoidance of hostile confrontation. So being aware that many times Latinx patients will avoid expressing an issue or discomfort to avoid confrontation and to be polite to their provider. 
personalismo, which we've talked about earlier in the episode, is the value of warm personal interaction. Respeto, the importance of showing respect to authority figures, and this includes healthcare providers. Familismo, which is the collective loyalty and close-knit relationships to people outside of your family, and uh, a really strong commitment to family obligation. I think this comes up in a future episode with a Spanish-speaking psychiatrist and what she has noticed in her extensive years working with the Latinx population in terms of how truly important family is. Fatalismo, the belief that individuals cannot do much to alter fate. And an example within this research study is provided that says a doctor could perceive as rude or unengaged a patient who declines to make direct eye contact, but that patient may be showing respect for the doctor's position. Another example provided is a patient becoming silent during a treatment plan meeting, but this may mean they're just being polite, want to avoid conflict, or they just don't understand what's being said or they don't agree with it but they're staying silent. So they could be misunderstood if you're not aware of culturally competent care. And intergenerational differences and barriers that impede mental health service use among Latinos, a study by Escobar Galvez et al. 2023 showed that first-generation Latinx individuals may experience additional structural knowledge barriers when seeking mental health treatment, Providers should be aware that first-generation patients may need more psychoeducation and guidance on how exactly the therapeutic process works and looks like. And this is why I have a Spanish episode for individuals that want to engage in mental health services but are either afraid, don't know how to go about it, and we answer some of those questions in that episode. Mental health providers should work on fostering relationships with Latinx communities, improve the recruitment of Spanish-speaking employees and practitioners, improve resources provided in Spanish with culturally competent care, and improve mental health literacy at the individual level through community campaigns. The results of this particular study also focus on the need of improved and additional organizational health literacy to help empower the Latinx community to be able to make informed decisions regarding their own medical care. Policy-level interventions are also needed to provide accessible and easily digestible information and guidance on how to navigate the healthcare system. Many times the healthcare system is difficult to navigate for someone that was born in the U.S., for someone that has some health literacy. So imagine someone who is new to the country and being able to understand the system is really difficult. These authors report that it's crucial for those working with the Latinx population to understand the various and differences among barriers that may prevent Latinxes from seeking and engaging in treatment. In an article titled, One Cannot Make It Alone, Experiences of a Community Faith-Based Initiative to Support Latino Mental Health, Nogueira and Schmidt 2022 lay out the use of social constructivism as a theoretical framework when working with the Latinx community. Social constructivism focuses on the importance of language and culture and how those two play a major role in development and the perception of the world. This study uses a social constructivism framework and interpreted the data around participants' life experiences, their interaction with society, and cultural norms. 
on how all this shaped their views on mental health and their ability to access mental health services. This study also used an intersectionality framework and considered the participants' various intersectionalities like their nationality, language, race, ethnicity, and immigration status, and were able to conduct research on inequality and what role that plays on the individual person. This study found that participants often felt a stigma and even taboo when it comes to just talking about mental health and mental health symptoms. Individuals reported being called locos, which is crazy in Spanish, and being told that it's all in their head. Another individual even reported doctors within their community would not refer them to mental health providers as people would fear being referred to a place for quote-unquote crazy people. Going back to the idea of personalismo, this study found that receiving mental health information and education from someone who an individual already has rapport with and a trusting relationship, the likelihood of them engaging in formal mental health services increases. So uh, this is another tool that can be used and research that can help in the use of the social constructivism and other frameworks to better serve the Latinx community. So reflecting back on what we discussed today, I encourage you to do some meditation, some journaling, some thinking, maybe some discussions at your next staff meeting, or when you meet with a supervisor, a colleague, or a mentor. Discuss what you learned today and discuss what can you do as an individual, as an organization, and what things could you implement and start to plan to implement on how to better serve the Latinx community. In future episodes, we will have guests with extensive experience working with the Latinx community, and that will also help in improving the services that we're providing. Again, thank you for listening. And I hope that you continue to join me on the rest of this journey. And please don't forget that the references and all the articles that were used to inform this episode can be found in the show notes wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. If you are experiencing an immediate crisis, please call 911. If you or a loved one are feeling suicidal, please call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. The previous Lifeline number, 1-800-273-8255, is also available to people in emotional distress or suicidal crisis. SAMHSA also has a free confidential 24-7 treatment referral and information service line in English and Spanish, and that number is 1-800-662-4357.